Welcome to the Power Women in Insurance Show with your host, Teresa Kitchens. Join us as we laugh, talk about hard issues, support each other, and make our industry and our world a better place. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Power Women in Insurance podcast. Today, I have the wealth woman, Mary Lyons, with me, and she is a financial advisor extraordinaire here in the Dallas area, and um, she has been amazing and a wealth of knowledge for me personally, and I'm excited to be able to have her on today with the Power Women in Insurance. Mary, hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Well, Mary, I know you and I have known each other a little while, and I've been so excited that as we've gone through knowing each other the last few years, I've been able to hear your story, been able to be inspired by it, and you are really, really a woman that whenever I think of a power woman in the insurance and financial um, area, that I just always think, oh, I want to be like Mary when I grow up. So (laughs) I want to hear your story. So this is a very selfish podcast because I want to hear your story. So Mary, tell us how you came to be the Mary Lyons, the wealth woman? Sure. So I, um, I started in this business a long time ago, and I actually got my insurance license almost accidentally. So I'll, I'll, I guess I have a confession to make to start with. Uh, my dad's been a financial advisor since I was about four years old. So when I was a teenager, he would bring home uh, client files and black out the names. And my brother and I would occasionally be forced to sit at the dinner table and help him build financial plans. <laughs> so it was definitely a unique upbringing. But uh, I found that if you had asked me at that point in time, do you want to be an advisor or are you interested in working in insurance? I would have definitively told you not only no, but absolutely no. There's no way I would do that. I was more of a creative type. and. I've always been really good at the math side of things, but I wasn't passionate about it. When I graduated from college, I actually had a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. I graduated with two degrees and I knew I wasn't going to do anything with either one of them. And so I found myself in a situation where um, I was living at home, which was my parents' worst nightmare and probably also mine, if I'm being honest. (laughs) And my mother told me that I could stay in the house until my 22nd birthday, but that the day after my birthday, she was going to kick me out of the house. And my parents don't bluff. So when she said that, I knew she was serious. And at that point, uh, I took the next job that was offered to me, which was actually in the mortgage industry. And I had an opportunity to, at 21, just out of college, or I guess I had just turned 22, um, to start a mortgage company. And Texas has an interesting loophole. I don't know if they still have it, but in 2003, if you wanted to be a mortgage broker as opposed to a loan officer, the difference being that you don't have to have a sponsor if you're a mortgage broker, um, if you had a life insurance license, they waived the two-year requirement for industry experience in order to get your broker's license. And so I immediately got my life insurance license so that I could get set up as a broker. So you didn't have to have your life insurance license for two years. You just had to have it, period. Yeah. Wow. And I thought that was really weird because the two are completely unrelated. Completely. But I, you know, I thought, okay, if this lets me do this, I'll do it. And um, so I got my licenses and I was in mortgage for three years. 
And in that time period, I actually found that I had better conversations with financial advisors and property and casualty agents and life insurance salespeople and CPAs than I was having with realtors because everybody was calling on realtors and I'm not that charismatic. I'm a, I'm not like you get, we get to know each other and I'll grow on you over time. But um, I had a hard time with the realtors. And so all of my business was coming from financial advisors and CPAs. And I would look at how the mortgage fit into the overall financial picture, make recommendations for down payment, mortgage structure, take a look at other opportunities. But Teresa, as you know, I'm very nosy. And so I started asking people, well, why are you doing that? Because as a mortgage broker, you get the complete financial picture. And when people started telling me what they were doing and why they were doing it, I, I started leaning on the knowledge that I had gotten from my dad growing up. And I realized that a lot of people were being sold financial products that really weren't a fit for them, that either their advisor or agent didn't understand, um, and that they certainly didn't understand either. And by the end of three years in the mortgage business, almost 70% of my clients were asking me to become their financial advisor really? at a time when I was not licensed. Um, and so I, I said, you know what, maybe there's something to this. And I began to really feel like I had a moral obligation to get into the business. And so I called my dad and I said, now that I've established that I'm a professional, I'd actually like to come work for you and your firm. And so that was my entry into that world. I actually was their recruiter for a year. Um, and then that was kind of neat because I got to interview all my competition, figure out their compensation models and what they didn't like about the companies they were working for. It was great insight. And then after a year of doing that, I realized that I am a terrible employee. I do not work well for others and that I had made the move because I wanted to be an advisor and I wanted to work for myself. And so I think it was 2006 officially, very tail end of it when I made the jump uh, into the business. Nice, nice. So, and so now you've been there because this is of course 2020. So you built your career. Tell me a little bit about your career as far as how you've grown, how you connected with people, how you, because you, like you said, you're a connector. You love to be around people. You love to ask them questions. You love to get to know them. And I know that you've also been able to build a really great team and you've recently taken some very large change changes to your to your life and in the middle of covid because just to let everybody know today is not chaos exactly today is october 6th of 2020 so we have been in covid for a while and i know i got a phone call from you early in the summer and was you were like hey teresa guess what and so i would love to be able to hear about that process and what brought you to that because i know that Every decision we make is a conglomeration of things that have happened to us, journeys that we've made, maybe things that have impacted us mentally and emotionally as we go along until we get to that point in our lives where we say, okay, I'm ready. And then all of a sudden, we just jump on that change and we just go ahead and we run with it and we make it. So I'd love for others to be able to hear as well about the the career that you've had since you did make that change into the financial advisor world and how that's really brought you where you are today. Sure. So I'll start by saying that, uh, well, I would like to say that it has been a cakewalk the entire time. It <laughs> hasn't been. And I think that a lot of times when we meet other people in our industry that we look up to, we assume that they've always been brilliant or they've always been successful. And the fact of the matter is, this was actually a really difficult journey for me. 
The first year in the business was not too hard. Uh, I was 25 or 26 years old. And um, because I had clients and mortgage asking me to be their advisor, I had kind of a steady stream of business. And to be 25 and giving adults financial advice, I think is already kind of tricky. But my first year in the business, I made about $80,000, which I felt really good about. Yeah. But then um, I got married. Um, I'm still married to the same person. I am happy to say that. That part has been great. But um, I realized as soon as my husband and I moved in together that he was very unhappy in his job. And so I told him that he should do something else. And so he promptly quit his job and decided to go to law school. And we ended up moving from Austin, Texas to Dallas, Texas. And I, I thought it would be easy to recreate what I had going in Austin. But the fact of the matter was that I really didn't know anyone in Dallas. I didn't have any friends here. I had two friends here, but neither one of them were good candidates for clients and uh, for different reasons. But I found myself in a situation where business had been pretty easy at the beginning and all of a sudden it wasn't. And so I think that that year I made a total of $27,000 and 12,000 of that was residual from the year before. So from a new business perspective, that means I brought in $15,000 of revenue. And I think the only reason I didn't get fired is because my boss was my dad (laughs) and he and I talked about it, but I was adamant that he never give me any leads and that he didn't share clients with me because I wanted to be sure that the other advisors in our firm, because there were about 45 of them, um, I wanted to be sure that they never looked at me and said, you're only successful because you're Joe's daughter. Yeah. And so I was very clear about those boundaries. And I needed that for myself because I needed to know that I built something and I didn't just you know, ride my dad's coattails. Mm -hmm. So I think it was actually probably in some ways more difficult for my dad than it was for me because watching your child struggle um, as a parent myself now is so difficult, but in order for them to be autonomous and independent, you have to let them. And, and my dad did, my mother was a little sneakier about how she helped. She, she, and I say this in air quotes, which you can't see, but at some point she received a small inheritance which she gifted to my brother and I. My brother was in law school at the time. I mean, you know, I mean, it was nice. It was like $10,000 and it got us through the year because I don't know that we would have done it without it. But, um, but the way she did it, she let us kind of keep our, our pride. And I think it was her mad money that she had socked away. I don't think she actually had received anything. Um, but I think she was watching us struggle and, and wanted to help in a way that, that she could. But um, so I, I found myself really having a hard time in building new clients because at 26 years old, I looked younger than I was. And Dallas is a very different environment than Austin. Mm-hmm. Austin is get to know you first. And if I like you, then we can talk business. Dallas is much more, what can you do for me? Oh, nothing. I don't need to get to know you. So it's a, it, it was a harder environment for me because I'm kind of a small town girl and I, I was very relationship driven. So it was hard for me to come here. It felt like to me, I used to tell my husband, did we move to LA? Like what, <laughs> what happened? This doesn't feel like Texas anymore, but um, we just had to kind of find our pocket. And so that, that year was really hard. And 
um, it challenged me in ways that I had never been challenged in my life. And I remember having a particularly difficult conversation with my dad where he said, you know, Mary, like you're one of those people that pretty much everything you've ever tried, you've done and you've done relatively well. And this is the first time in your life that you're experiencing any kind of real challenge that would require you to do some soul searching about who you are and what you're willing to do in order to succeed. And he said to me, this experience will either make or break the rest of your life because this is a defining moment. And I was like, golly, that's not a pressure. Well, especially because I was looking at him and thinking like, wow, you're this extremely successful businessman running this company. And then here I am failing at something that you're successful at. And so it, it was just such a hard time for me. And even my husband, who I love dearly because he's incredibly supportive, I think he saw the amount of like emotional turmoil that I was going through at that time. And at some point when I was probably crying about what a hard day I had had, he said to me, um, you know, if, if you're not cut out for this, that's okay. If you want to do something else. And I was like, I was, uh, you know, at, on the one hand, I loved that he, he gave me an out. It's okay not to be good at everything. Um, but on the other hand, I was like, how dare you? How dare you say that to me? I can do anything I put my right. mind to. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, roughly at about the same time, um, there was a gentleman in our office here in Dallas. It was probably like the first love-hate relationship I had with an adult because there were things that I absolutely despised about this person, but then there were things that they did or contributed that completely changed my trajectory. So I remember sitting one day in my office and um, I was on my laptop and this guy came in and he, he used to like carry a baseball bat around the office, real big guy from Jersey. And he would just kind of, you know, some people play golf in the office and he would, he would just kind of like, bring this baseball. I don't know. Anyways, he came into my office and he had the baseball bat over his shoulder. And, and he said to me, you know, Mary, the reason that you're not successful is because you're lazy. He said, I don't know what you do all day. Maybe you're in here playing solitaire. And I like closed my laptop and I'm like, is it reflecting in the glass? How did he know I was playing solitaire? Um, and he said, he said, it's really, it's kind of disgusting to watch. And then he walked out. And I got up and I closed my door and I burst into tears because keep in mind, I was already really struggling. So yeah. I had a lot of self-doubt and it was very crippling. I was depressed in some ways because my husband was in law school, so he was never around mm -hmm. um, and I didn't have any friends in Dallas. And so I, I was very isolated at that point. And, you know, I, I sat there in my office until I heard him leave because I didn't want him to see what he had done. And, um, but I left the office after he did and I didn't come back for two days. Um, and I'll tell you, I threw a complete pity party. I got in my bed and didn't get out of bed for two days because it, uh, I don't know that it was, that it was that transparent that I could do it to someone else. And that they were like, you know, you're just lazy was, uh, it was kind of the wake up call that I needed. So I'm forever grateful for that. But I went back into the office and I said to him, help me. And so he gave me a system of measuring activity that produces revenue. And then every Monday I had to sit down in his office. And if I did not get the certain number of points that, that he had told me to get, he would, he would basically rip me a new one and tell me how pathetic I was. And wow. so what happened is I was so terrified of him 
that I made sure I got the points and um, I slowly started to make money. Now, simultaneously, while all of this is happening, um, especially because my husband said, you know, there are other things that you could do. I had applied to law school. I got into law school. I got a scholarship for half of the tuition. Oh, wow. Um, and I accepted. And so the day before orientation, I called SMU and I deferred for a year because I had started to get a little bit of traction over the summer. And over the course of the next year, I managed to get my income back up to about $80,000. Um, and so I was like, okay, I can see that I am making some progress. So law school came around again and I decided to defer for another year. Um, and at that time, I remember having a conversation with my dad saying, hey, this year I'm gonna qualify for leaders, which with our carrier, at the time, I think was somewhere between 100 and 150,000 of life insurance premium. And uh, I, oh, and, and then they had a second qualification, which was chairman's, and the qualification for that was, I think, about 250, 225, 250 of premium. And I told my dad, not leaders, I told him I was going to qualify for chairman's, that that was my goal. And his comment to me was, maybe set your sights a little lower, maybe get to leaders first. And, um, and actually, like, it, it sounds really bad, but your dad would tell you, don't set your sights high. But I actually think it was really Machiavellian because I think he knew that if he said somehow, it, like, inferred that maybe I couldn't do the bigger goal, that it would light a fire for me to prove it. And he right. was right, because I did. And, um, and so I broke into that. That was the top 12 advisors with our carrier at the time. The qualifications have since, like, doubled and tripled. But... Um, you know, it was one of those moments where I was like, Hey, I said I was going to do this and I did. It was the first moment in my career where I thought to myself, okay, I'm kind of successful. Like I can, I can do this. And that's empowering. Um, oh, it is. But I'll tell you, so they do a trip, like a lot of carriers, they do a trip when you have a really good year. And so there were 12 of us on this trip and they sent out a, a Facebook beforehand, not, not like Facebook the way we knew it, but the old school ones where it's like a magazine with people's picture and oh, it yeah. tells you about them and their spouse. And so I memorized this book because these were all the people that were like complete badasses, right? That I, that I had been tracking throughout the year and what's their production. <laughs> and so I've like memorized all these facts about them when their children and their spouses. And cyber stalking them before you were there was cyber. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so we, the trip was to Argentina. At the time I was pregnant with my, my first kid and I'm, I'm in line. I'm totally nauseous, but I noticed that one of these guys is in front of me. And um, for perspective, at this time, I was 29 years old, um, and all these guys were in their, like, late 40s, 50s, 60s, right? And so, um, so I'm like, oh, my goodness, and I tap him on his shoulder, and I'm like, I'm so excited to meet you. I've been following you all, all year long. Congratulations on your success. I have so many questions for you. And he turns to my husband, and he says, hey, man, congratulations on qualifying for the trip. How awesome are you to qualify so young? Whose shop are you in? And I have this moment where it's like no. all that excitement to like be part of the cool crowd. Just, it, it just like fizzled. And my husband, God bless him. He looks at the man and he goes, oh no, I'm in law school. She's the badass. I'm just the arm candy. Right. And I had this moment where I was like, I have married the right man. Like I have yes. completely, like he is just, he was like, no, 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 I'm going to fix this for you right here. And it, it totally, the gentleman was so apologetic, but 
it's one of those things that I think a lot of times in this industry, because it is so male dominated Mm -hmm. that as a woman, when you have success, it's almost like deflating in a way because you, you don't have that same instant camaraderie. Now what's been really interesting because I've been very consistent. So every year since then I have qualified and I've, I'm generally in the top four advisors in the country uh, with One America. What's really interesting is that now I'm kind of like the darling because I am pretty consistently the only woman and I'm also much younger than everyone else. And so everyone has kind of adopted me as their daughter or their sister, I feel like. I and it. so it's almost like, like I tell people, I'm definitely not famous. But when I go to these conferences, everybody knows who I am because I am generally the only woman. So it's a, it, it's just an interesting dynamic because at first it was deflating. And now it actually makes it easier because, I, you know, if it's a bunch of guys that all look the same and then me. There's, there's a lot of people that figure out who you are. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. So it's been, it's been kind of neat, but there's definitely, um, you know, before, before we hopped on the podcast, you asked me a couple of questions about, you know, what, how did I become successful and that sort of thing. And, and I think the honest answer to that is networking. And, and my dad used to tell me networking is not working. Um, and that I needed to be cold calling people. But if I can be totally honest with you, I have horrendous call reluctance. Even now I struggle with it. But um, I I used to be the person that would like halfway dial the phone number and hang up for 30 minutes before I could actually complete a call. So I always, always think if I can do this, literally anyone can, they just need the right support systems. But I I realized that I was going to have to find a way to get in front of clients that was more comfortable than cold calling. And, um, and it was, you know, pre Facebook and, and pre Instagram. So social media marketing was not as popular as it is now. Um, and the only way I could think of to do it was to build a community around me. And that's pretty hard when you're starting and you don't really have anything to offer because you don't know anyone. But I think at this point in time, a large portion of the clients that I get take meetings with me, not because they're looking for a financial advisor, but because somebody else in the community says, oh, you need to know Mary. She knows everyone. She'll get you connected to the people you need to know. And, and, you know, if I can get in front of somebody, I know the value that we provide, right? Same as you, if you can get in front of them, you, right. you've got it. But it's the getting in front of people that I think most people have a hard time with. Yeah, especially yeah. that's where that fear comes in too, and yeah. the, the unknown. And I think it's that, like you said, you would halfway dial the number, right? I think even networking, there's a lot of people who have that fear of networking or that fear of connecting and they halfway, like maybe they go to a networking thing and then they sit in the back of the room or- well, that's me too. That's, yeah. That is totally me too. I, I would find that I would like sit in the car because 
I'd be like, I have to walk into this room full of people that I don't know and I'm awkward and it's going to be awkward and I'd psych myself out and then I'd walk in and be like, oh, what do I do? So there actually were a couple of tricks that I learned um, that have been really helpful. So I have an agenda and an expectation for myself so okay. that I know when I can be done because I, I am not an extrovert. I, I can turn it on if I need to, but naturally I'm more of an introvert. So COVID has been really nice for me because <laughs> I've had a lot of time by myself. Um, but uh, one of the things that I did is I would just say, okay, the goal is to get four to five business cards. That's it. Just four to five business cards. And then I have done enough that I have a permission slip to leave. And then in the conversations, one of the ways that I would get in front of people that I thought would be valuable is that when I would go to the sign-in table, I would say, I'm interested in learning more about your organization. Can you point me in the direction of your membership chair, your president, and your vice president so that I can ask them a couple of questions? So now I know who the, the leaders of the organization are. Oh, I like that. The leaders know all their members. Yeah. So if you, and, and I'll tell you something, if you talk to them and you ask a couple of questions about the organization and you say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether it makes sense for me to spend a lot of time with the organization and, and to be able to give to the organization, who do you think I should meet? They will introduce you to the people who are best connected in the organization and generally the easiest to talk to. Oh, nice. And so what happened is then it was very easy because instead of walking into a pack of people that were all in the middle of a conversation being like, hey, hey, can I join you? Instead, the president would walk up and say, hey, this is Mary. She's thinking about joining our organization. She has questions about X and the conversation would just start. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it made it that much easier because you know, it's hard when you walk in to figure out who you should be spending your time with from a business perspective. And so it's much easier if you just ask somebody else, who should I be spending my time with? And they point it out to you. So, so that was one thing that I did that was really helpful. The other thing is, especially because my, I, I'm not, if you've ever taken Strengths Finder, there's a quality called woo, win others over. And it's the people that walk into the room and everyone's like, oh, I want to be friends with you. That's not me. <laughs> so I needed something that like would help me stand out. And so I have an outrageous shoe collection. I am, I am almost always in four or five inch heels. You and are, always... that's totally true. I'm so, and I always tell Marcus, I have to go home and get good shoes before I go have time with Mary. <laughs> he's like, cause sometimes he's like, don't forget we have our meeting with Mary today. I'm like, dang, no, I got to go home. I got to get a different pair of shoes. <laughs> shoes. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. But I do it because, um, in my line of work, you have to be pretty conservative. There's an image in people's head for a financial advisor, and it's usually someone in a relatively conservative suit. And so to me, there's nothing that's going to make you stand out if you do that. So the rest of me will usually be completely tailored, but then I'm wearing completely inappropriate shoes. Like it's just, <laughs> I don't care. I mean, it's meant to make me stand out. And so the other thing that happened when I started doing that is that when you are in a room full of people, someone will always walk up to you and say, oh my God, I love your shoes. And then there you go. You have entry to a conversation. And so it really, for me, was about being memorable. And I can't tell you, there are times where I've heard from someone else where they're like, yeah, I was talking to Jenny and she was like, oh, that girl, the one with the shoes, the one with the shoes. Oh, and I'm like, see, you can't remember my name because Mary Lyons is a very vanilla name, which is also why I go by the wealth woman because it's a little bit easier, yeah. right? But if they remember I'm the person with the shoes, that's great. And then what ended up happening is I started to build more of a presence in the community is that people would be like, I got to see what shoes you're wearing today. 
And so it was, it was an excuse for other people to start conversations because if I'm uncomfortable, probably other people are too, yeah, right? Yeah. So the more you can do to help open that up, the better. But that, that made a huge difference for me, figuring out that trick about, okay, if I'm walking into a room full of people, how do I make this less awkward for myself and for them? <laughs> no, I love it though. I love it though. Because even the funny thing is even men will comment on your shoes. Um, it's not just women. I mean, you know, you think of it as women are like, oh, you know, your shoes or whatever. But even my husband told remembers your shoes it's really funny because i'm always like no i have to go get different shoes and he's like but you don't have the cool shoes the way that she has you know these like really cool shoes and i'm like i'm working on it i'm working on it you, you know, know the other thing is too they're not expensive shoes i mean they're generally from the sale rack and dillard's because nobody else wants them because they're outrageous right so i'm like if no one else wants these shoes i'm gonna wear them because they're crazy they're hot pink with you know giant polka dots and that's fine i love that <laughs> that's awesome what it but it is just a really good way to stand out I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I like that so a lot. I think the other thing is too, like you have to become a content expert because I think that um, one of the things that I've noticed is that men assume that other men are competent, um, but people do not make the assumption that you're competent as a woman, especially sure. when you're wearing the kind of shoes I wear. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I really, um, I made it a game to have that moment where the person sitting across from me has that, oh, oh, like, oh, you really know what you're talking about. Um, and, and that moment when that happened, I'm like, okay, gotcha, right? Because that's the important part. And so I think knowing more than your competition is really important. And for me, that came from, you know, hours of reading and doing CE, but not necessarily reading the stuff that like your carrier's putting out. Like, it's more about understanding. I, I actually, you know, would do things like call the head actuary at the insurance company and be like, okay, can you tell me how this works? And, and what's interesting is like all those actuaries, they wanna tell you all this stuff because no one ever asked an actuary to talk about how That's a true. policy is built, right? Yep. But this is what they do all day, every day. And so I will, I, I will not lie, there have been times in a conversation that I'm like, oh, I have no idea what you're saying. But if you have the conversation enough times, it's like learning a foreign language, eventually you start to pick right. it up. And so. Um, it's been kind of neat because that then places me sometimes on product design committees just because I've asked enough questions yeah. and now I understand some of the things, not all of them, but some of the things that are happening inside of the policy, but it makes it a lot easier in competitive selling situations too, because I know the ins and outs of how the policies work. And, um, and I think that's one of the things that if you put the time into it, your clients will absolutely value that because I think we give pretty good service at our shop, but ultimately I think our clients are loyal because they feel like they're getting better advice from us than they have from people they've talked to yeah. in the past. Well, I know that there's a quote and I can't think about who said it at this point because I don't have it directly in front of me, but um, there's a quote that says that if you can't explain something in layman's term or in simple terms and you don't understand it well enough, right. And in my mind, it's like Benjamin Franklin or somebody, I can't remember, but I'm probably totally saying that wrong. If people are out there going, that's not who it is. I apologize up front. <laughs> but, you know, it is one of those things where if you, if you don't know your product enough, if you can't connect, if you can't have that conversation with your client, then people can't know, like, and trust you, which is a big networking. It's a big connection. It's a big point, especially in the insurance industry, because nobody, I mean, I, we always talk about the fact that insurance is not something people want to sit around at a dinner party and talk about, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. and it's one of those things where if we can explain it 
in really, really simple terms, we can win people over understanding the importance of this. And I always say that insurance is the backbone of our economy. It just is between our banking, between, you know, being able to take care of people when you're gone, like life insurance, if it's being able to retire and be able to either, um, possibly pass along uh, money or just to be able to travel or to be able to take over when a life situation occurs. Like we've seen so many people with COVID who have been through really difficult times who luckily, hopefully they put some money away and they can draw on that if they need to as a, as a backbone. And then of course, like I said, the banking industry, our housing and our vehicle industry and so forth. But, um, you know, I always sit back and say, we have to make this easier for people because having financial conversations, even between a husband and a wife can be really difficult sometimes. And whenever you bring in somebody who has this, you know, all these letters and numbers after their name, it's still really, really intimidating. So I love the fact that you really like talk to actuary you've really gone the, the depth of the difference to know and understand your product so that you can connect in a different way. I think I have a responsibility to the client and I actually, um, so we are hiring advisors at our firm now and we had a class yesterday where we talked about life insurance policy structure and it's an introductory class. It's not the complex stuff, the, the actual building of the policy and that sort of thing that comes later in our educational process. But it was really interesting because this young woman who just came to work for us has just taken her licensing test for the life and health side of things. And as I was going through talking about the differences between universal life and whole life and the internal cost structure and what's variable versus what's fixed and what that means to the client, um, her response was, I mean, I could see it on the Zoom call. She was just, it, it was one of those things watching her face. It was almost like she had a combination of like awe and disgust at the same time. <laughs> for I had no idea this is so interesting, but also why don't they teach this? Because mm -hmm. I just got my license and I don't know anything that you're talking about. Um, and, and at the end of the call, she said, you know, I'm really grateful that I ended up here because I don't think I would have learned this anywhere else. Right. And, and I said, you know, the, the fact that I can even teach it is just by virtue of where I started. I, I learned that and, you know, but it has been invaluable for me. And I think ultimately, you know, the other thing is if you do what's right for your client, a hundred percent of the time, you get a reputation for that. Yeah. And so there are times when financially it doesn't make sense for me to do something, you know, taking a meeting is going to cost me money as opposed to make me money. Um, or I'm just helping out of the goodness of my heart, not because there's anything in it for me. And I will tell you that sometimes it's the fact that I take those sort of pro bono meetings, um, that has helped grow my career because people know no matter what the question is, you're going to get a good answer. And when that's the reputation you have, I think it's a lot easier to build over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, people refer you out to is because they know that you're going to do the right thing for them. We always, um, you know, whenever we refer people, we're putting our own name on the line, right? So if I, if I refer Joe over here, even to like work on your plumbing, right? Of your, of your house, if you have a plumbing situation and say Joe is, you know, just not a good plumber, right? You're never going to take another referral from me ever in your life. And especially as a professional and everything, you know, we, whenever we make these relationships, we put ourselves and our business reputation on the line to some degree. So if people are willing to be able to trust you in that way and, and say, Hey, Mary's the one you need to be able to talk to, which is how I met you. Cause, um, 
I actually had um, our, uh, our, our pastor reverend in our church was like, oh, you know, you guys need to talk to, you need to talk to, uh, to Mary. So we were super excited about being able to connect with you in that way. But well, again, I'll, I'll has such a you, relationship. it took me working with him for eight years before he started referring business to me. Really? And I think the reason is that for him in particular, I think he gets hit up a lot (laughs) by people who want to sell stuff to his congregation. And um, what I told him from the very beginning was, don't refer me business. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help you. And when you get to a point where you feel like, hey, she really is here to help me, it'll be the right time. And I'll still be here. Like, I'm not going anywhere. And I think sometimes we push people and rush into, Hey, let's have this relationship before we actually get to know them. And I think it makes more sense to say, here are some of the opportunities, but to kind of get a feel for whether, you know, where other people's comfort levels are, because some people will never refer you, right? No matter how good of a job you do for them, they're never going to refer you. Other people will refer someone they just met. So the weight of that introduction doesn't mean as much, but then for clients who you really help over time, and you build a personal connection with, I think that's when the introductions and the referrals come. And, and I'll give you an example of that. I have a client um, who is, you know, she, she has one small piece of business with us. I know her through her daughter um, and her daughter is my client, was my client first. And um, her, so the, the daughter's dad, so it's the, the spouse of this other woman, uh, he passed away and they had just, you know, stacks and stacks of financial papers. They had no idea what they had. And I said, you know what, just bring them in. Give me a week. I'll go through everything and I'll, you know, make you a spreadsheet. Here's everything that I can find. Um, And then we put in a request through the NAIC to see if there were any life insurance policies that they didn't know about. And then I sat there for three hours and called every carrier. There were 25 policies. They were all 10, 25,000 here kind of things. But we called every single carrier. We initiated the claims process. All of the paperwork is being sent to me. I am filling out all of the paperwork so that she can just come in, sign it, and have it be notarized. And there's no compensation to me from this, right? This is just about helping her because it's the right thing to do. And the fact of the matter is sometimes it's the things that we do for people that don't generate revenue for us that make us feel the best about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly like that's more meaningful than sending flowers, which I also did. But, but I think it's that kind of stuff when you really go the extra mile, because I don't think, I think most people would have said sort through it. And then if you have questions, I'll help you. I can double check your paperwork. But I was like, you know what? This woman just lost her husband. She doesn't want to do any of this. Mm -hmm right? Like I'll bring lunch in, you eat, I'll make the call and talk to the financial person on the other end of the line. And here we go. Right. And so ultimately maybe I'll get to do some business with her, but that wasn't the point of doing it. And I think she understands that. And so it's, uh, I think finding ways to give back. I mean, my husband's an attorney now. He, he went to law school and, um, he takes pro bono work, right? There's no reason that in our business, we shouldn't occasionally do pro bono work. That's true. Um, where the whole purpose of what we're doing really is just helping people. Because for me, at least, you know, I mentioned earlier in the call, I got into the business out of a sense of moral obligation, not because I thought it would make me rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important, even when you're established, that you don't lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, I don't know, that's the point to me of doing this is that it really has to be about serving the person that's sitting across from you. And I think ultimately, that's part of what makes me referable is that the conversations are about what do you want in your life? 
because especially on the financial side, but I think this happens to all of us. We, we, as kids, we dream a lot. We dream a lot about what life is going to be like. And then as adults, those dreams kind of get beaten out of us a little bit, right? We settle for different things. Reality hits us, different challenges come up. And a lot of us end up living a life that's really comfortable. Um, but it's not the life we would have scripted, if that makes sense. And, um, I talk to a lot of people that when they get to the point where they're good financially, they still, they're like, but something's missing. And I think what's missing is purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you can connect to whenever you're with your clients, what, what purpose do I have in this meeting that changes things? Because to me, if I go into every meeting thinking, how can I make this person's life better? then there's never a meeting that was a waste of time. Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. I like that. Well, Mary, That's a serious twist. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. I really love that though, because it just, it is. And I, and I agree with you. I think a lot of people, we, we, I think we feel like we're pegged. We, you know, we, we pick a career. Like we, like, you know, my, my, my daughter goes to college, you know, and she's like, but I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, you know, it's like, there's all of a sudden when we graduate from high school, we're supposed to choose a major that's all of a sudden supposed to like define our future for the rest of our lives. And then I think as we get older, we get even more pegged and more pegged and more pegged because maybe we have years of experience or we have careers or we have kids and houses and mortgages and all these other things that to take that chance or to dream really big is really scary. And, um, and I always say that purpose, a lot of people want to talk about how their purpose is their kids or want to take them to Disney world or whatever. And I think that's great, but it's also the fact that we need to be able to have those purposes that are so much larger than that. that are really just about service because our kids are going to grow up. Right. I mean, they're, they just are. So the idea of going to all these conferences and everybody's like, these are my reason why, you know, my four-year-old and my eight-year-old, that's wonderful. It, but it's also the fact of what type of life are we creating for them that we can show them, but then our team and our, in our career and how many people are we pouring into? Cause, cause when my kids grew up, cause mine are 27 and my daughter's going to be 22 next month, but yeah. crazy. I'm like, how do I have a 23 year old? I just, I realized that I had to have something more than that. And I think that's part of that empty nester syndrome is that all of a sudden you look around sometimes and you go, now what? And I think we do that in our career too. We get to the point where we've maybe achieved a a goal that we had or whatever in our career. And now we go, now what? And I think that that purpose, like you're talking about in serving and being out and about in our community helps us to be able to keep that fire and that excitement about what it is we do and who we are. Well, and I think too, um, giving yourself permission to follow your gut, I think that's such a big deal because there are so many times where I'm like, well, the prudent thing to do is, and I will tell you that when I let go of that, or if I have a client that I'm like, you know, I don't feel like we connect and maybe they'd be better served somewhere else. Um, like sticking to my gut on that, that has been um, something that I didn't do when I was younger because I was like, oh no, maybe it's you. Maybe it's because it's hard. You know, maybe it's because, you know, you need to keep these clients because you, you've got a family to feed or whatever it is. So you tolerate behaviors that you wouldn't allow from anyone else because this person's paying you. Um, when I got to the point where I said, you know what, like, I'm only going to work with people I like. Like, that's it. If I, if I don't like you, I don't work with you. It is amazing how many more clients I have because I'm always <laughs> in a good mood because I get and to they're do all like the person that you like. Yeah. They're not like the people you don't like. <laughs> right. I mean, I get to talk to people and I say, Hey, how are your kids? What's going on? What's new in your life? How can we help you? And you know, I, I think being really clear about 
who you want to work with too makes such a big difference because there are times I'm talking to somebody and I'm like, Oh, this person has a lot of money and they need an advisor. But I'm like, I don't want to talk to this person all day, every day. Yeah. Like I don't, you know, I mean, somebody told me the questions that they ask are, would I go and have a drink with you? Um, would I allow you to come to my house? Right. And then the third question was, would I let you keep my puppy for a week if I was out of town? And that, that last one I thought was really kind of funny because, um, you know, I might let somebody come to my house because I'm there, right? Mm-hmm. But if I wouldn't leave my dog with them, then I'm like, no. Or my kid, if I wouldn't leave my kids with you, no, we're, we're good. Like, right. I'll move on. But it took me a while to get to the point where I actually stuck to that. And it's, it's amazing how much, uh, I don't know, more fun you have when you're working if you really do. I mean, just when you, when you stop looking at the opportunity and you start looking at the people, mm. things change a lot. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, Mary, you are the wealth woman. And I know that people want to be able to connect with you. They can definitely do that. But tell us how they can connect with you, the wealth woman, in uh, different avenues. So that that way, if they want to ask you questions, get more information, or uh, just connect with you in general, how would you like for people to be able to do that? Sure. So uh, my website is wealthwoman.com. Or you can connect with us on Instagram and also on Facebook. We are at The Wealth Woman. Make sure you put the the in there or I have no idea where you will end up. (laughs) Um, And then my email address is mary at wealthwoman.com. And I would love to have a conversation. So um, if anybody listening is in a place where maybe they feel stuck or plateaued or they're just trying to figure out how they get it ramped up to begin with, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation. That giving back is really important to me. Excellent. Excellent. Well, everybody, this has been the Power Women in Insurance podcast with Mary Lyons, the wealth woman, and she is amazing and fabulous. Please make sure that you do reach on out to her and connect because she has a ton of knowledge and experience, a wealth of information as she is. So, um, bada boom. Anyway, but make sure every <laughs> but everybody make sure that you do subscribe to the podcast where every week we talk to another powerful and amazing woman in the insurance space and we talk to women of every kind inside the insurance space. So make sure that you check it out. Everybody, have a great day. <laughs>